Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC sports. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. It is Wednesday, September 15th, and it's hate week. Virginia Tech, West Virginia, the battle for the Black Diamond Trophy. We've also got the Middle Tennessee recap. We're going to talk week two in the ACC. We're going to bet some lines. Week three, it is a big one, especially in the ACC Coastal. But before all that, Tim, what's going on? Just hanging out, getting ready to talk some football. Um, you know, I've been dealing with pink eye, I think, over the last couple Oof. of days. Oof. So that's that's something new. Um and then I, yeah. I remembered how much I don't like putting eye drops in my eyes, so I'm struggling with that. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, I'm sorry to well, hear it's, that. It's all good. It's all good. It's um, it's a lot better now. Obviously, after doing the eye drops, but um, kids, man, gotta love them. They love sharing germs. Yeah, they're just walking, breathing germs, basically. They, they are. just get passed down to you. I uh, I'm always like. You know, six o'clock rolls around. I'm amped on podcast day. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to talk some football. And then, you know, your kids just take take that energy from you, and they never give it back. So no. you gotta you just the, gotta the psych yourself thing. up. You're like, okay, well, there's worse things I could be doing, like you know, living in West Virginia, but <laughs> I'm talking Virginia Tech football instead. That's right. That's right. And it's hate not week. to uh, exchange blows already, but. Let's uh, let's jump into it, Tim. Big week in the ACC, um, which is which is really any week if you're uh, you know familiar with the ACC at all, especially the coastal. There's there's really things that uh, that can really change on a dime. But from the Virginia Tech standpoint, they get a 35-14 win over Middle Tennessee. Um, unfortunately, we're gonna have to hit on the uh, the bad news first. Ugh. which I'm sure everybody is familiar with by now. But uh, James Mitchell, the preseason All-ACC tight end, and uh, really the best offensive player on Virginia Tech's football team, not the most important, but the best, has been lost for the season with a knee injury. So a huge loss for the Hokies. Um, if you recall, he took the handoff on a end around or a jet sweep whatever you want to call it got hit came up slow limped off the field you know it seemed like he was good enough to go back in but you know trainers didn't seem overly concerned and it sounds like Fuente left the field on Saturday thinking everything was going to be good and then Sunday Monday rolls around and boom he's out for the season so a uh, a pretty big uh, blow to uh, the Virginia Tech offense the Virginia Tech team um you know, still having him around obviously will be will be big. But best wishes to uh, to number eighty two and wishing him a speedy recovery. And uh, yeah, I mean, just uh, just a tough tough loss at this point in the season. It is, especially when you consider what he meant to the offense as far as versatility and mismatches. He's kind of a you know one of those guys that defenses have to game plan for and. You know, for what seems to be so far, at least putting it kindly, an anemic passing attack, having that option at tight end, somebody that can provide more than just blocking for you is huge. And, you know, our pick for breakout offensive player of the year 
uh, is out in game two, and, and that hurts. One, because obviously you never want to see a player get injured, uh, but two, because it, you just felt like everything was lining up for him to just have a monster year. So a shame he's going to be missed, and now the Hokies look towards replacements. And, you know, reading in the tea leaves, it seems like maybe uh, a backup quarterback maybe getting eyed at potentially getting some tight end time. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I think um... – I mean, when it comes down to it, you know, they used Mitchell um, in non-traditional tight end ways. And yep. so even on the play where he got hurt, you know, typically you're not seeing a tight end get the ball on a jet sweep or an end around. Um, but it's something they've done. It's something they've had success with in the past. Um, but as you move forward, you know, that doesn't necessarily have to be your tight end that's kind of taken that handoff. And, um you know, I think we saw some flashes of some guys that could make plays with uh, Connor Blumrick, who's really the third-string quarterback. Doesn't look like he's going to be trusted to throw much, but he, he looks like he brings a lot in the run game. He just looks like a, a Mustang running out there with that flowing hair and that <laughs> upright does. running stance. It's just, yeah. it's it's kind of uh, majestic to watch him run I was football. I was going to say was he, he looks like a horse out there, but yeah, Mustang. Well put, yeah. and I couldn't agree more. Those long strides, uh, he's fast. You know, he's got some size to him, even though I, I think you know he looks thin. But he's wiry. You kinda, he's yeah, he's wiry. wiry. That, that's the way I described yeah. him. He's he's wiry, right? He, he's built like a cowboy. So um, we'll, <laughs> he'd we'll look great with a cowboy do. hat. Oh my god, are you kidding me with that hair? He's got kind of an Aaron Rodgers vibe going on right now. I don't know if you've seen Aaron Rodgers, but he looks like he just got off the beach after meditating for like 72 straight hours so he, he looks like he's wearing a leather jacket on the boardwalk in new jersey circa 1948 like flipping a pocket knife you know yeah. kind of roughing people up for money now he's oh, a grease great. ball yeah but I, I will say if i if i had blumrick's hair you'd try to get the cowboy hat off me i mean you couldn't take it from me i'd wear it everywhere the ostrich boots with the cowboy hat, I mean... Oh, 100%. A bolo tie? Crazy. Oh, my gosh. I'd rock it. Couldn't tell me anything if I was Connor Blumrick. Blumrick. Blah, blah, blah. So, so we'll see. You know, I think there's opportunity. I mean, I was going to talk about this a little bit later, and, and we can, but I'm, I'm kind of waiting for these guys we heard about all offseason. You know, where, where's Jaden Payute? You know, I think he played a handful of snaps with the second team late, is that because he's battling injuries or is that because he's just not going to play? Dwayne Lofton got on the field, caught a ball in the first half, went for minus one yards, didn't really surface much again. So, you know, with with injury comes opportunity for some other guys. I'd I'd love to see some of these other receivers and these younger kind of dynamic athletes that we've heard, heard about start to get in on the action and you know get them mixed in so we'll we'll, well see what happens yeah. against uh, West Virginia I, I'm hoping um, uh, you know we've got some things up our sleeve that you know they're not really expecting so we'll we'll kind of see what new wrinkles we can add to the offense but the good news Hokies start off 2 and0 which they've done four out of the last five years so mixed results. Not in those four out of the last five years. Uh, yeah. Wasn't a, uh, I wouldn't call it a spectacular performance. Okay. I sure wouldn't. But 
what I will say is they did at least come out and perform at a much higher level in the second half, which yes. has not always been the case with Virginia Tech teams, especially if you look back to 2019. I'm thinking of a uh, three-game stretch in September with Old Dominion, Rhode Island, and um, Furman to where it just looked like they were going through the motions, very low energy, not just for the first half, but for the entire game. Um, games in which they only won by a couple touchdowns. And when you're playing teams like Furman and Rhode Island, you need to be winning by more than a couple touchdowns. And so I, I felt good about that. Um, I mean, I didn't love the first half. I'm not going to – I don't think anybody did. It was plain Jane. It was just a very vanilla performance on both offense and defense. Um, not, I mean, it, it wasn't a surprise to me it came out that way. But it was just a very sleepy first half, and um, you know, I, I know you probably have some thoughts around that. But I mean, what did you? What was your biggest takeaway from what we saw? I mean, it was vanilla. The part that bothered me is that it was completely uninspired from both the players on the field to the coaching. Uh, I thought we came out far too conservatively against an opponent. The quality of Middle Tennessee State. Um, and, and honestly, we, we respected him too much, and we played uh, scared. We did not play uh, offensively. We did not play like this is the most comfortable Fuente has been with the passing game since he's been here, which was his quote in the offseason. If you're going yeah. to say something like that, I expect you to be able to pass the ball effectively against inferior talent. Not only was this inferior talent, I think the number one and number two cornerback for Middle Tennessee State were out with COVID. Um, yeah. So they to were, see, according to Bill Roth, right. So to see the lack of ability to string together any semblance of a passing game was disturbing, frustrating, and disappointing to me. Um, and and you couple it with the fact of it, you, you got to start taking some shots downfield at some point in the second half. We did a couple of times, but I don't know if I can take any more quick outs. Uh, the rest of the year. I think I've hit my quota in quick outs run by our wide receiving core. You, you just would like to see something yeah. a bit more dynamic and That seems to kind of replace the jet sweep call. Right, it has. Well, he had to get, Cornelson had to go somewhere. You know, right. he, he re, he'd so been reading he too many internet message boards. Outs. You know, and he yeah. was like, I know what I'm going to do. A quick out. And the quick out scares me a little bit with Braxton. Um, quick outs really rely on timing with a quarterback and a quarterback's ability to really zip a ball, the risk you run on a, pick, on a quick out is a pick six. And against better opponents, I'm not sure those quick outs are going to be what you want to do in those situations because you got two issues. You're not spreading the field, so you got a defense who's loading the box because your passing game consists of basically five yards past the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage. And that makes it more difficult on your running backs. So I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. Do they not trust Braxton to throw the ball downfield? That may be the case. But if so, don't say this is the most comfortable you've been with the passing game since you've been here. Okay? Because we were all around yeah. when Gerard Evans was the quarterback. Wasn't that long ago. Well, I think, um, yeah, it kind of goes to my point about guys like Jaden Payute and things like that. Is that just coach speak? It has to be. After Did he just what say I that saw, to it say has that? to be. They, clearly. My, that, my that, concern that's with Payute 
last season coming into the year because we heard about him and how athletic he was before he broke his ankle. I was like, are we actually going to ever see Jaden Paye? Pay, Hope so. And my gut instinct told me no. My gut instinct told me this year is that we would, but I'm starting to lean towards probably not if we haven't seen him yet. And I right. mean, I think with Burmeister, if you read between the lines a little bit, the one thing I'll say about Fuente that I was happy to hear is he criticized the offensive play calling in the first half going into halftime, which I don't think I've ever heard from him before. I don't think I've ever heard him say to a reporter, I was really disappointed with how we played offensively in that first half with some of the play calling and execution. Now he will consistently call out execution, but he mentioned play calling. So I I thought that was something that stood out to me. The other thing with Burmeister is it sounds like the reason they're not taking shots downfield a lot of the times is because of Burmeister, not necessarily because of the play call. And we've seen a couple of times. We saw one time last week with Trey Turner, who was running wide open against North Carolina, and Burmeister missed him. There was another play earlier this week where there was a tight end wide open in the end zone, running towards the end zone, and he decided to check it down, which was an overthrow that went out of bounds. So he's not... He's not a one-read quarterback, but he doesn't seem to be looking downfield or he's either not confident in his ability to get the ball downfield, which he's made some really nice down-the-field throws so far this season. So I think there's kind of a mix of Burmeister is playing very conservatively right now. He's almost too conservative with the football. He's trying not to make mistakes, and it sounds like Fuente wants him to take a shot. And I think what we're seeing right now is, for the most part, the frustrating part about the, this Middle Tennessee game is that our receivers really weren't getting separation. No. It's not like they're running wide open. They've got two or three steps on the defender, and Burmeister's just not throwing it. It's a tighter window, and he's opting to go somewhere else with the football. Which now, which is, is a disturbing trend that has been the case for three to four years now when you're talking about separation in the wide receiver group. We just can't seem to get it. Now, part of what went on with the play calling was that Middle Tennessee State in the beginning of the game was lining up about 10 yards off the wide receivers in coverage. So there was a little bit of taking what you're given to that play calling, I think. Um, and, And that's to our credit. But... What I will say is another one of my beefs is the tempo at which our, oper- our offense operates at. We go two or three plays where you seem like we're really trying to go up tempo, we're really trying to press the issue, and then we just bog down and we're not calling play calls until you know there's five seconds left on the play clock. Now, if you want to be a dink and dunk, hyper-conservative, hitch, quick out, screen type offense, you need to add some tempo. If you're yeah. going to sit there and plod down the field at a laboring pace, waiting to get the play call in when there's 10 seconds, and I, I just I don't know what we're hoping to accomplish. If, if that's what you want to be, go fast. Keep the defense on its heels. But it, it, it's all for naught here because the issue is whether or not you're comfortable. I'm not so sure that's the issue because you – you have to stretch the field. That's not a 
maybe we sh- you have to stretch the field. And if we're not going to do that, we're going to have issues against better competition where we're not going to be able to move the football because they are going to load the box. And thank goodness they weren't playing any sort of, of press coverage or tighter coverage because they, they were doing the Dave Huxtable famous 10 yards off the line of scrimmage, we'll give you five yards every time kind of defense. And that was the only thing that saved the offensive face in the first half. Had they had competent defensive play calling, I think it would have been much worse. But luckily, for whatever reason, they were just backed off the line of scrimmage for a lot of that first half. Um, and, you know, I, I think... Probably because they felt like they couldn't play press coverage on our receivers. It, that, I mean, that I could think be. that's kind of part of it. That, that certainly could be. But given given our game plan and what we were trying to do, um, they should have tightened that up. I mean, it was pretty clear after the first quarter that we wanted no business of going down the field vertically. Right. Yeah, and I mean, it was interesting. I mean, and finally in the second half, they took a shot downfield to Trey Turner, who was wide open, 47 yards. Go figure. Um, you know, they had a, a big play to Tavion Robinson down the field for about 29 yards. So when you started taking shots, you know, big things started happening, and that's when the offense kind of captured momentum. But I think the biggest thing for me is there's probably a mix of play calling designed shots down the field. If they if they want Burmeister to take a shot down the field, then design it. Don't don't give him an option to really go anywhere else. Exactly. Either give him a bailout on the run, or he's going to throw it down the field. Right. Um, and you if know, that's going to make him more confident, we'll we'll kind of see what happens. But it he's going through two three reads every time. So I mean, I'll say that's a positive. It is. And I'm not going to fault the guy for not wanting to turn the football over. You just want him to let loose a little bit more. And I think that's kind of what Fuente was alluding to. And I'd love to see him let loose more in the run game. We started to see signs of that in Middle Tennessee. But I really wanted to learn how to protect himself as well because he's one hit away from Virginia Tech having a very uh, difficult um, time of it at the quarterback position, which we almost saw this week when – um, he got hit high in the shoulder, and I mean, the biggest thing is, I don't know how a guy like Burmeister, who is so mobile, makes it this far and hasn't learned how to slide yet, but he hasn't, and he's admitted that. Um, so, I mean, that's something that, you know, they need to go hire a you know a retired professional baseball player and bring him in and start teaching the guy how to slide, because yeah, no, no, Virginia Tech right. season flash before their eyes right there. Right, and you know, it it looked to me it was a dirty hit live when i saw it on the replay i still say it was right. an unnecessary hit. it was unnecessary it was still dirty to me but at the same time braxton left himself open for that because of the slide had he mm-hmm. gone feet first that would have been um much safer uh and less stress on my cardiac system uh but you can't do those you know kind of tumble slight head first dives i mean you've got to you got to learn how to give yourself up and hopefully i'm sure when they're looking at video review uh the offensive staff will be harping on that with him yeah and and, you know something else that gave them a spark is we talked about connor blumrick a little bit i i did like what we saw out of that package he had three carries really two um at the goal line uh one that went for a touchdown and then he had a big 33 yard run that almost went for a touchdown um so I, I kind of liked what we saw there. I'll be interesting to see if we break that out against a uh, higher-level opponent. Um, 
but I don't think it would be out of the question now if we see more Blumrick mixed in um, at other areas on the field, especially with the James Mitchell injury. Uh, receiving course we've kind of talked about. It's really just kind of a two-man show. I mean, Caleb Smith got in there a little bit. We saw some other guys get some snaps, but there really wasn't much, much action their way. So when are we going to start to see that? And then rushing-wise, it's really kind of a committee. You know, they really leaned on Blackshear this week. He, who had 10 carries for 53 yards and two two touchdowns. Holson broke a big one, a big 29-yard for a touchdown in the second half, but outside of that only had four carries for two yards. So, um, you know, I feel like it's going to be one guy one week, one guy the next. Um, they ended up with 224 yards total on the day on 39 carries, which isn't bad, four rushing touchdowns. But um, it'll be something to watch going forward as to – how they're really going to work this run game. I thought, honestly, the offensive line struggled a little bit in the first half. They did. Um, I thought they got their act together in the second half. Um, but for Virginia Tech to be a successful offense, especially as they go up against a stronger defensive line like they will against West Virginia this week, they're going to have to play all four quarters. And um, really this run game, controlling the clock, keeping a pace while also possessing the football – that's what Virginia Tech wants their identity to be, and that doesn't happen unless we win the battle up front with those guys. So I'd, I'd like to see a more consistent effort from that offensive line group this week. Yeah, and they really set the tone for me in the uh, in the second half. I mean, you could tell as soon as they came back, they were playing with more Vance intensity. Vance probably had a few choice words for them yeah. in the locker room. Yeah, because it was a pathetic effort from everybody on the offensive side of the ball in that first half. But, I mean, I even tweeted it from our account. I thought the key to that entire second half was the offensive line in that turnaround because we really started to dominate the line of scrimmage, which we should have been doing from the jump. Um, But it was good to see, at least, you know, that it speaks to good coaching if you can have deficiencies in the first half and rectify them to that degree in the second half. So props to the coaches for that. And props to the offensive line for taking the game by the scruff of the neck. Defensively, I mean, I thought it was another strong performance. Um, It was kind of subject to the play calling or the type of coverages that they wanted to play. It was, like you said, with Middle Tennessee, about 7 to 10 yards off the ball at any given moment. And very little blitzing, very little breast coverage. You had guys like Connor and Waller out there getting – frustrated you could hear them on the broadcast yelling at the sideline like let me press let me play man uh but they they wouldn't for whatever reason um and most of the yardage that mtsu got like you can look at it and say oh you know they they had a good amount of yards but it was all underneath routes because the defenders were so far off the receivers they only had 17 yards in the first quarter they averaged 1.8 yards per carry on the ground and basically held to just one score until the late touchdown with the second team unit on the field with, I think it was under a minute to go in the game. So all in all, you know, I'm more and more optimistic about how this defense looks, um, especially against the run. You know, they're doing a lot of the little things right this year. I've got some good uh, good numbers that I'll throw at you for the, uh, for the preview episode. But um, one thing I wanted to point out, Tim, is, you know, I go and I look at box scores and I try to find snap counts snap counts are difficult to find sometimes but Amari Barno didn't register in the box score 
and he was just kind of absent throughout the game. Like, he just didn't hear Amari Barno's name called a lot. Um, and I was just trying to figure out, like, how much did he actually play, or did he just not record any stats for this game? Because I've looked at four different box scores thinking I'm going to find his name, and there's just not, there's no Amari Barno anywhere. Yeah. And it, it wasn't a game that suited his play style. <clears throat> I wouldn't call the defense that we came out with and played aggressive. Um, I didn't have a problem with it. It, especially when you consider who you're going up against in Bailey Hockman. He's kind of a known quantity. I'm fine with stepping off, not playing press on a guy like that um, because I just don't think he's a guy that's ever going to get in rhythm and hurt you too bad. And you can play conservatively on a guy like that and walk out pretty unscathed, which we really did. Um, you know, you mentioned the garbage time TD. Um, but I guess that's why I'm okay. I, I think it would have bothered me more if we had done the same in the first game. But in that game against Sam Howell, I saw a lot of pressing and I saw a lot of aggression. And I think that's the way you play a good quarterback. You don't want them to get comfortable. Um, now, my defensive philosophy personally, I always like to be aggressive. I always like to see aggressive defense. But I'm not going to be too upset with the way that we handled that game from a conservative nature. And I, th- at least on the defensive side of the ball. And I think it just didn't suit Amari's play style. Um, you know, just yeah. the way we're going out there and doing things. Yeah, and like you said, like I, I don't know if it was <clears throat> trying to hide or disguise what they were planning to do against West Virginia. I don't know how much of that actually goes on, but it wasn't their most aggressive game plan by any no. means. Um, no, I mean you can you can guarantee that. So for the most part, I mean Middle Tennessee, a below average opponent. You know, Conference USA. Nothing to write home about, but after watching the Hokies get destroyed against the run last year, I'll take any kind of dominant performance against the run I can get. Jermaine Waller looks like a stud. Keonta Jenkins didn't play due to a foot injury, but it sounds like he's going to be back for the West Virginia game. So walking away from it, not a perfect game. Lazy first half. The team responded in the second half. You know, good teams win, great teams cover. The Hokies are 2-0 against the spread. I'm not calling them a great team yet, but... You know, they're taking care of business. And so I, I think that is something to be um, positive about. You know, they're doing the little things right. So at this point, they're 2-0. and They've only given up 24 points on the season. I'll take it. And yeah. that'll take us into West Virginia. But before that, Tim, let's, let's go around the ACC. Let's look at ACC Week 1 uh, to check in on our ACC brethren. And so... Uh, James Mitchell wasn't the only injury. The injury bug hit hard oh, on Monday yeah. morning. Boston College, huge loss. Their quarterback, Phil Dracovic, hand surgery, most likely out for the season. And so in comes Dennis Grossell, who I had no idea was still playing college football. I feel like that dude has been at Boston College since <laughs> we were there. It feels um, like a long time. They also lost their place kicker which could be an under-the-radar issue. Um, NC State, two major losses Oof. to their defense, Peyton Wilson at linebacker and uh, Cyrus Fagan at safety. Yeah. Um, and what was a disastrous game for them. Yeah, and not to mention Cyrus Fagan had been playing remarkably good football for NC State. Peyton Wilson, one of, if not the best linebacker in the ACC, uh, that's, uh, that's a tough loss for NC State. Tough, tough loss. 
And uh, Miami lost running back Don Chaney Jr. for the season as well. So their running back depth takes a hit. So you're just going to see more of uh, Cameron Harris out there. But back in the win column, you know, Clemson took care of business against the mighty South Carolina State. I don't even know what their mascot is. DJ Bulldogs, I believe. Bulldogs? There you go. I think so. When in doubt, just go Bulldogs or Tigers. It'll probably be right. That's it. It's like putting C on a multiple choice test. <laughs> exactly. Those beloved Scantrons. <laughs> DJU. Do, do Scantrons still exist? I, you may be dating yourself there. I would probably take tests on they iPads nowadays. They have to. Yeah. DJU still probably not the game you'd expect. 14-24 for 171 yards. Touchdown interception. Did have two rushing touchdowns, but... We're still waiting for DJU to pop. We haven't seen it yet. Uh, Miami hangs on against App State. Had uh, Chase Bryce made a few plays in this game, especially towards the latter part, and not had to settle for field goals. App State probably wins, but Miami holds on. Derek King finished with 200 yards passing, 79 yards on the ground. Cameron Harris had 91 yards and a touchdown. Miami lives for another week. Big matchup that we'll talk about in a few minutes uh, against Michigan State this week at home. UNC uh, destroys Georgia State 59-17. Sam Howell counted for five touchdowns. He had a big 62-yard touchdown run. I don't know if you saw that, but I did. was uh, pretty impressive. Had 104 yards on the ground. Howell is uh, actually the team's leading rusher after two weeks which if you uh, are a UNC fan, probably not something you're super stoked about, but nope. it's uh, it's a fact. Brennan Armstrong and UVA uh, just upend Illinois, 42-14. I mean, just a whooping. Five touchdowns over 400 yards passing for Armstrong, who is off to a red-hot start. Not much on the ground, only 33 carries for 133 yards as a team. Tua LaPapa had the most carries at 10 for 35. Armstrong had 31 yards on five carries. A run game, it just seems to be a perennial issue for, for the Wahoos. It's it's just Brendan Armstrong or nothing. It's a very, you know, back back to the Bryce Perkins days, a Bryce Perkins issue. But um, Armstrong, UVA getting a lot of hype right now. You know, Illinois, not the strongest Power 5 opponent. Uh, but, hey, I mean, they beat them by, what, four touchdowns or whatever it was, so... Whenever you can beat a Power 5 team by four touchdowns and their name is in Kansas, you know, you can uh, you can take that to the bank. But a huge game, huge game for the ACC uh, this weekend against uh, UNC. So we'll see what UVA is made up there. And then uh, the big one, Tim. Pitt goes into Neyland Stadium, leaves victorious, 41-34. Kenny Pickett looked really good in this one, I must say. Put up uh, 27 points in the second quarter. Defense forced five sacks, three quarterback hurries, nine tackles for a loss. We did get a Hendon Hooker sighting who replaced an injured Joe Milton, and he played fairly well. 188 yards, two touchdowns, 49 on the ground, but a big interception at the end that locked up the game for Pitt. So any uh, anything that stands out to you from those victorious ACC teams this week? Um, nothing in particular other than uh, a lot of unexpected things. I think Miami eking out App State was kind of concerning. I didn't think it would be that tight with Miami. Um, and Derek King not quite hitting the ground running yet. He's not playing at the level he's capable of. And Miami does not, not look very good. No, they look disjointed. And if this doesn't get better, Miami's looking at a middling finish in a poor ACC Coastal. Um, 
Manny Diaz might not be there for much longer. No. Other teams back in the win column playing lesser competition, Louisville, Georgia Tech, Boston College, and Wake um, all take care of business. The losers column, Tim, wow, there were uh, – we'll, we'll start with the most embarrassing loss, which was Florida State. I mean – I just can't even – When you think it can't get worse for the Seminoles, it gets worse. I mean, probably the most embarrassing loss they have had in the history of their program – Easily. They lose to Jacksonville State at home, a team that lost 34 to nothing a week prior to UAB. (laughs) Okay, and if you know anything about UAB, it's actually an interesting story. And, you know, they were without a football program. I think it was in 2015 or 2014, and they got it back in 15. And they've, they've done a nice job of piecing it together. They're not a horrible football team, but... UAB beats you 34 nothing, and then you go into Florida State and to Tallahassee and you win? Yeah. And, I, I, you know, you can call the defensive play call, like, horrendous, which it was, but the guy who basically was defending the receiver who caught the ball wrapped his arms around him and let go. Yep. And he walks into the end zone for six. Yep. And the game's over. I mean, there's just nothing you can say about it other than one what does this mean for notre dame (laughs) because that that was the first thing i thought especially with how notre dame struggled against toledo and had to come back in the last minute of the game to win that one but for florida state i mean the good news is you can only go up but it doesn't look like you're going to be climbing that elevator to to a floor higher than three this year three being a win yeah. It was um I don't even know what to say. I I posted uh on Twitter it was like twilight zone level, you know, of weirdness to to add the cherry on the cake. One of the FSU offensive linemen proposed uh to his girlfriend as Jacksonville State Super was still celebrating in the background. Like what what hellscape am I on right now? Weird I, visual. I, I just don't get it, man. I don't understand it. I feel like in that scenario, you've got the ring stashed away somewhere. You lose to Jacksonville State at home. You just sit on it, right? I mean, what do you like? Go propose in a park in front of a fountain or something. Why? Why would you do that? I don't know. Call me old-fashioned. <clears throat> yeah, but embarrassing loss. Um, the big. Surprise for me was how NC State performed against Mississippi State. Um, Terrible. I mean, obviously got off to a really bad start with the kickoff return for a touchdown, and it just felt like NC State got popped in the mouth and couldn't really regain their focus. I thought they had multiple opportunities in the first half to score touchdowns. The Ricky Person jump ball pass. Oh, my God. Worst play call in the history of college football. I... It's it, it wasn't even like if you're going to call that play it's that play had broken down so poorly and he still opted to throw the ball and the way that he threw it it was just like oh this isn't going to be a good day for NC State well see for me it is kind of a play call issue alright it's third and well, five I'm not, yeah I'm not defending the play call but yeah. you have to as a player have the awareness to bail on the play and he he forced it 
Let's just walk through some idiocy real quick. And I like Tim Beck, I love for Tim. the record. I like Tim Beck. Um, yeah. I think he's a good offensive coordinator. But if you are an opposing team and you line up in the Wildcat five yards outside of the end zone, I know, I know for a fact you're not going to be running the ball. No one in their right mind is running on third down out of a Wildcat five yards from the end zone. So your alarm bells are already going off saying, hey, there's something afoot here. Something isn't right. But what makes it worse is that that same play call was used, I believe, against Wake Forest last year. It scored a touchdown, but it was not a pretty play. Wake Forest did not bail on the play, and they almost picked it off then. But to run it again in a situation that it would never... That play works if you're on the two and it's second down. Yeah. Or you're on the two and it's first down. If you're on the if you're on the five, that's a goal um, line play. Right, exactly. It, it that to me was just so incredibly boneheaded. I can't even put it into words. But I agree. From the moment that kickoff return was taken back, and those cowbells started clanging, it's like everybody on NC State forgot how to football. Yeah. And what what is a strong offensive line was porous. I mean, a Mississippi State defensive line is not very good. Was getting through. With, with what seemed like two seconds, and they were in on a three- or four-man rush. 12 rushing yards? Yeah. That's not I NC mean, State. And That's NC State's not a NC good State. rushing football team. 12 yeah. yards? It, it was one of those things where you can tell players are shook from the jump, and I think the atmosphere was a little bit intimidating just because of how Man, that different cowbell. it is. That Annoying cowbell noise almost makes it unwatchable. Oh, I hate at it. At home. It, it just... Could you imagine the tinnitus you'd have walking out of that stadium? I mean, you, you'd be hearing whistling. <laughs> well, Virginia whistling Tech plays in the them in a couple of years. Yeah. And I'm watching that game, and I'm like, oh, geez, I'm starting to question whether or not I want to go. I kind of still want to go. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely going. Like, okay. I can drive there. Yeah. But. Oh, yeah, that's, dude, that's true. I'll just fly in I'm where just you like, are, and yeah, we can drive Yeah, flying to Nashville will take a little, I think it's like three and a half hours. Oh, dude, that's nothing. We'll absolutely no. do that. I, I just want to experience it. I will say from the TV, I'm going to bring earplugs or earplugs or something. That's right. That's right. Just terrible, terrible sound. But it, it was really ju- just a, a game where a team was discombobulated from the beginning. And that happens sometimes, I guess. Yeah. So that was ACC week two. The positive news for NC State doesn't affect them ACC wise uh, early in the season. They can get past this. I still think they're a good football team. I just think it, you felt like you were watching a boxing match and they came out and just got uppercut just right from the very beginning and they just never regained their footing. I mean, that's kind yeah. of what it looked like. It was. Um, that's exactly right. So let's go ahead and jump into the West Virginia preview, which I'm excited about. So the battle let's do it. for the Black Diamond Trophy. Saturday, Tim, will mark the 6,000th. 195th day that Virginia Tech has held the trophy in its possession. I like that stat. Now, the series dates back to 1912. They met 52 times between 1912 and 2005. And from 73 to 2005, they met every year. Obviously, in the 90s, uh, it was a uh, Big East um, affiliation and one of the more heated rivalries in all of college football, maybe under the radar. Didn't really get the attention it deserved, but um, that's kind of a question I have for you, Tim. I've been thinking about this, and obviously, like, 
you know, they've played once in the Fuente era. 2017 at FedEx, neutral site. Hokies won 34-27, of course. But for this team, for these players, like, nobody remembers that's playing in this game, the rivalry. So I wonder if they feel it like the fan base feels it. Um, and even to a student level, like, I, I don't I don't know students today, like, they don't remember this rivalry like, like we do. Because um, we lived it. So I just kind of wonder from that standpoint what it feels like on Saturday. I still think it's going to be heated as hell. Um, I think people's parents and the history books and, you know, Twitter memes that Chowder and Grits is tweeting out are going to start <laughs> stirring the pot a little bit. But I just kind of wonder what it's going to feel like Saturday. I, I just don't think it's going to be kind of pick up where you left off. Um, but that's just my opinion. No, I mean, it's hard to, when you have, you know, something that was so consistent go to be so so sporadic, um, go from facing each other every year in an interconference rivalry to um, not playing as much as you used to. I think that's just the natural order of things. I do think that as this week ramps up, those old feelings will come back and that hatred will start to brew again. But I don't think oh, it'll it's ever brilliant. reach... I don't think it'll ever reach the fervor it used to be. And I do think on the newer generation that sees Virginia Tech as an ACC program and that's where they base their memories off of and, and that's what they remember. I, 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 don't think, I don't think the hatred is there for West Virginia because why would it be? Um, you know, now, that, with the Alliance, if the Alliance ever turns into anything, which I doubt it will, I'd love to get a new uh, West Virginia Virginia Tech series consistently oh, on yeah. the on the schedule, and that would reignite it. No doubt. But um, kind of back to some facts here, you know, just as we're on the Black Diamond Trophy, uh, the trophy itself was actually born in 1997. So Tech has held the trophy six out of the nine years it was contested for. West Virginia leads the all-time series 28-23 to 1. The Hokies, however, are 10 and 3 against West Virginia since 1994. Um, we mentioned the FedEx game. The last time the series was played in Morgantown, 5,831 days ago. That's 830 weeks, 190 months, and of course, Virginia Tech won the football game. So, let's get into West Virginia itself, Tim. And I want to say this as objectively as I can. I, I've uh, consumed a ton of West Virginia content over the last couple of days trying to understand who this football team is. Are they any good? Because they've played Maryland. They lost. And Maryland is a talented football team. Yeah. I don't know if they're a great football team. Yeah, talented is, is the right way to describe them. I don't know if they're great or even yeah. good, but they've they're talented. Talent. Um, and they've beaten Long Island, who was a Division II football team as early as 2018, jumped to the F FCS in 2019, and went 0-10. Um, they didn't play a regular season last year. They were one of those FCS schools that played in March. They went 2-2. Two two. So they've really only won two games in their FCS, very short FCS history. So Long Island is not a good football team. Is basically what I'm saying. They beat Long Island 66 to nothing. But 
If you look at the 247's 2021 college football team talent composite ranking, which takes recruiting composite rankings with transfer composite rankings, JUCOs, whatever, and they basically kind of spits out a ranking for your talent level. Maryland ranked 34th. Virginia Tech ranks 39th. West Virginia ranks 58th. Now, whether this means anything or not, you know, that can be argued. Nebraska ranks 25th. Florida State ranks 20th. So take it with a grain of salt. But I thought it was interesting nonetheless just to kind of get a barometer of the level of talent on the football field. So from a matchup standpoint, more closely resembles West Virginia versus Maryland. Um, But let's get into it a little bit. So offensively, Tim, for West Virginia, the score against Maryland at halftime was 21-20. They only scored three points after that. Maryland's defense, which hasn't been fantastic over the last couple of seasons, held them scoreless for almost 40 minutes. Jared Doge, who is their quarterback, he's really been kind of a liability through two games. And he is a statue in the pocket. I think he's rushed for negative 430 yards in his career. Um, The fan base is calling for his head. They want to change. And there's a guy behind him who's interesting. And I think we're going to see. And his name is Garrett Green. He's a mobile option at quarterback. He got a few series in against Long Island. He had 14 carries for 98 yards. He's basically the antithesis of of Doge. Um, So I think if West Virginia wants to go in and move the ball, we may see some Garrett Green. Yeah. As far as the rotation worked at Long Island, you know, there was basically Doge for two drives, Green for a drive, Doge for three drives, Green for a drive until the second half, which Doge did open up the second half. If we look at them offensively against Long Island, they scored seven of their eight first drives, but three of them went for 11 plays or more. So they seem to be struggling a little bit, specifically, Tim, the offensive line. And their offensive line is very good on paper, but it has been very bad this year. And so I think that is a big opportunity for Virginia Tech. They can't rush the football. Against Maryland, they only had one running back with a carry, Letty Brown. And Letty Brown's a talented guy. He's somebody that the defense is going to need to zero in on. He had 17 carries for 73 yards, two touchdowns, which is a decent day. Nothing to write home about. But against Long Island, you know, Green was the leading rusher. He had 14 carries for 98 yards. Brown only had 15 carries for 31 yards. The team had a total of 55 carries for 198 yards and averaged 3.6 yards per carry against Long Island. Uh. So you take a look at the offensive line. This is based off of what I'm reading. It's based off of some podcasts I'm listening to. The offensive line is in shambles right now. So they gave up two sacks, four tackles for lost against Long Island. Very little push up front. Against Maryland, they gave up three sacks, five tackles for a loss, three more quarterback hurries. And really their best offensive lineman, you might might have heard of him, Doug Nestor. He's Sounds pretty familiar. much locked in at the guard position, right guard. But outside of that, 
they can't seem to get solid play out of their remaining core. So there's some big opportunity for Virginia Tech in this game to absolutely dominate the line of scrimmage defensively, and I think that's going to give them an edge. Defensively, if we look at the Mountaineers last year, believe it or not, they're one of the better units in the Big 12. But they've lost quite a bit of talent. You know, defensive line, still probably their greatest strength. They're playing kind of a uh, 3-3-5 defense now. Um, so the Hokies' offensive line is going to have to compete. You've got Dante Stills and Akeem Mesador on that defensive line, both play defensive tackle, who um, have combined for four and a half tackles for loss and two sacks on the year. Stills is a guy who had ten and a half tackles for loss a season ago. So they're very strong in the middle. Uh, they did lose their middle linebacker, but Josh Chandler Simido has done a pretty nice job filling in. He's leading the team in tackles right now. They lost an All-American safety to Georgia, and they lost a starting cornerback to Auburn. So if there's a vulnerability on their defense, it's across the middle of the field and in that secondary. And then somebody to watch on the special teams is Winston Wright. He is their kickoff returner. He had a school record kickoff return kickoff return yards against Maryland. Five returns, 217 yards. Almost took one back for a touchdown. And he only had one kickoff return against Long Island, which he took for a touchdown on the opening kickoff. So he uh, he is a dynamic threat back there. That is my overview of West Virginia. What are your thoughts? Um, you know, first off, I hope we get to see Jarrett Dagey more only because I fondly remember his brother being one of the better quarterbacks in Texas Tech history. Seth. Um, and Seth. Yeah, Seth was an all-timer um, at the height of the Texas Tech quarterbacks leading the NCAA in yardage every year era, in which they probably aren't too far removed from. Um, I just like to see him. And plus, as you mentioned, not much of a runner. That sort of takes away my anxiety when I'm watching the game. So by all means, uh, let's see more Daggy. Uh, Be prepared for anxiety. Yes. I think we're going to see Green get some get some action. I don't like to hear that, but I, I would I would expect it. I would expect it based on what we've seen. You know, I, I think the key there is the offensive line, which true does look good on paper, um, but when you look at the stats, you can just see it's been. I don't know if there's been a reshuffling or what's happening with them, but they clearly aren't aren't an effective unit at the moment. Um, and yeah. Doug Nestor lining up on the opposite side of uh, a Hokies defense who's gone up against him in practice many, many a time. So I'm sure there will be uh, bad blood, um, no doubt, on Saturday. Yeah. So, I mean, to summarize kind of what I think about West Virginia, I don't think they're a very good football team. Now, does that mean they can't beat Virginia Tech at football? Of course not. Oh, no. But... If you look at the two teams and how they've performed so far this season, the talent that they have, the way that their respective units are playing, it's be Virginia Tech should win the game. But in order to do that, Tim, we, per usual, have some keys to the game. And unlike last week, the first key that I have is start fast. This is going to be an electric crowd. This is going to be Virginia Tech's crowd against North Carolina kind of crowd because their home opener was against Long Island. They played Maryland 
on the road. So fans are going to be ready to go. Luckily for the Hokies, it's a noon game. If any Virginia Tech fans are going to this game, like, thoughts and prayers. I don't know what to tell you other than to maybe wear, like, you know, full pads and a football helmet for protection. I would not be seen in, in their stadium with Virginia Tech gear on. I just don't think I could do it. Yeah. But they need to take this crowd out of the game as soon as humanly possible and make them turn on their own team because they will. And they're going to turn on their quarterback, who they're already getting after, in Daigie. And if you can do that, you're off to a good start. Now, the crowd's still going to be loud, but giving the offense some momentum, getting out there, starting to control the clock, taking the crowd down a few decibels, I think it's going to help with the mental capacity of this football team. I know Virginia Tech is pumping in white noise, according to Fuente, like you can't hear what he's saying like three feet from you, which I believe, but it's always different when you're live in-game action. And uh, I think um, it will cause a mistake-prone team to press, um, potentially open them up for mistakes. So we'll kind of see what happens. But, uh, you know, what are your what are your thoughts around that one? No, I, I totally agree. I mean, this is one of those hostile environments that is going to be far more charged up than uh, hostile environments we face on day in, day out in the ACC. This and isn't going to be your, you know, weekly trip to Raleigh. No. Or not Raleigh, excuse me, Durham. No, I mean, well, Raleigh too. I mean, this is going to have so much more behind it. This means so much more this weekend. And if there is a chink in your armor and you allow the crowd to get in it from the jump, much like we saw what happened with NC State against Mississippi State, you can't allow something similar go down seven, um, you know, within the first couple of minutes. You have to get ahead from the jump, take control of the game, or at least stay in it. So, I mean, I think that's a great point, especially when you're dealing with a crowd like this in a game that means as much as it does. All of those little mistakes become amplified. Um, so staying in the game, keeping it manageable, not giving up a lead. Um, and, you know, if, if you do surrender points, get them right back on the board. All, all huge keys to the victory for sure. Yeah. And, I mean, Virginia Tech hasn't made a ton of mistakes this year. They've got a low no. amount of penalties. They've got a couple of turnovers. Um, but for the most part, they're protecting the football. Right. Um, and so, they're turning the football over, and they're not beating themselves. So if they right. keep that up, they'll have a very good chance to win this football game. Agreed. And, you know, part of our offensive frustration has been a little bit on the conservative side. And, you know, this is a game where I think you could come out maybe a little conservative and trade punches for a little bit and get a feel for the game as guys are are understandably nervous and things like that. But, you know, Braxton has proven, well, we haven't seen prolific air numbers from him or even anything borderline – you know, good or great from him through the air. We have seen a guy who protects the football, and I think that bodes well going into uh, Morgantown. Second key is to wreak havoc defensively. Yes, sir. So West Virginia, they've turned the ball over five times this year. They've only forced one turnover. Their offensive line is vulnerable. The Hokies showed they can get after the quarterback against UNC against a much more mobile quarterback in Sam Howell, where if you recall, Mari Barno was 
playing Spy when he wasn't blitzing. You don't need to play Spy against Agi. Now, Green comes into the game, you gotta play Spy. But they really opted to hold back against Middle Tennessee. I'm expecting a game plan similar to what we saw against North Carolina. Maybe even more blitzing. A lot of man coverage and you know, when Green gets into the game, because I think he will, you know, controlling what he can do, because I don't think we're going to see Green throw the ball a whole lot. I think, from what I've heard, is that Neil Brown can't control Green, meaning Green is going off script from what Brown wants him to do, and Neil Brown is not a coach that responds well to that. But if you're West Virginia and you're a team who's struggling with your offensive line, who's struggling to run the football who's struggling with a stationary quarterback, their hand is going to be forced. And so Virginia Tech has to make sure that a guy like Green, or if they try any kind of Wildcat or some kind of, you know, Connor Blumrick type package back there, that that's not what opens the game up for West Virginia and gives them some momentum. So the Hokies just need to keep doing what they're doing defensively. Yeah. And they should be fine in this game. And I think the yeah. biggest difference between this Hokies defense so far compared to the other defenses under Fuente has been tackling. And if you look at the PFF numbers, the Hokies are the 29th best team in the FBS in tackling this year. Under Fuente, they've never finished higher than 60th. Wow. Last year, they were 71st in tackle. So that's just another element of doing the little things right Virginia Tech can keep doing those things. We should start seeing better results. Yeah, you you got the tackling is important, uh, as we saw in Miami versus Alabama. If you can't tackle, it's going to be a long day. Um, I'm with you though. I do think our defensive philosophy is going to be more aligned with what we saw in the UNC game, especially with their their offensive line not looking so great. I think this is the perfect time to start bringing and opening up your blitz blitz packages more. Uh, regardless of who's in there, you know, I mean, obviously if you have Daggy back there, that, that would scream, you know, a perfect time to send some exotic blitzes his way just to keep him off balance. But more importantly, you'll be able to get through to him and he won't be able to get out of the way too well. Um, and you know, another thing, another strength of this team lies in the cornerbacks. They can soak up a lot of pressure and you can put these corners on an Island if you need to. So I do hope that we see, some of what we saw in that UNC game where we are trusting our corners to go out there and do their job where the rest of the guys can make plays at the line of scrimmage and in the backfield. Um, I hope we see more of that and less of the conservative because I think when you look at teams with air raid principles, Neil Brown you know, has roots from Texas Tech. Uh, you go back and look at Longo, UNC, um, all air raid principles. I think attacking the air raid with blitz is smart. Um, you know, if you go at an air raid offense and kind of sit back, they have a tendency to pick you apart, death by a thousand cuts kind of deal. And I just don't want to see that. I hope we bring back the aggression. And I do think a lot of the conservative stuff we saw last week was because of the lack of respect that we had for Bailey Hockman in that middle Tennessee state offense. Um, this week, a stronger offense, a stronger pedigree, stronger coaching. Um, we're going to need to bring the heat. Yeah, I think West Virginia is really going to struggle to move the football against against the defense. If the defense plays like they have been playing, but 
you know, we'll see. I think um, the next key that I have here, Tim, is uh, on the offensive side of the ball is controlling the line of scrimmage. So we didn't see a very dominant offensive line last week. It's not it's not as dominant as it was last year. I mean, let's be honest. Like Christian Darisol, first-round pick, left tackle. That's, that's a tough hole to fill. Uh, Brian Hudson, Doug Nestor, both transferred. I mean, those were two guys that were supposed to be starters. So that's three, you know, starting offensive linemen that you had to replace. I think the offensive line is still very solid. They just can't start like they started against Middle Tennessee last week. So they've got a big task on their hands. I think uh, these are two of the better interior linemen they'll go up against this year in Stills and Mesador, as I had mentioned earlier. Uh, the Hokies really found success against UNC running the ball, controlling the clock, converting third downs. And that's going to be the, the key for their offense this week. I mean, they're going to want to run a very similar game plan. But kind of going into the next key is really a sub-element of this one. They've got to take some shots. Yep. West Virginia is most vulnerable defensively in their secondary. Fuente wants Burmeister to be more aggressive. So you've got to take some shots downfield. Whether the guy's open or not, if it's man coverage, throw it up. Have your receiver go out there and make the play. Don't be stupid with it, but try and force the ball downfield, and it should open up something in the run game. You know, It should start to take some of the pressure or some of the blitzing off or whatever West Virginia is going to do defensively to try and rattle Burmeister. But if they can find some success downfield, it's really going to open up this offense and give this team some momentum. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You're preaching to the choir on that. You know, I'm a big believer in no matter the defense, you got to take your shots. I don't care if the defense has a strong secondary, a weak secondary. If you want to be a balanced and effective offense and you want to open up uh, lanes in the running game and your short passing game, you can only do that by taking shots. So hopefully we've we've kind of learned our lesson and, and put in some wrinkles uh, some routes that'll be effective in getting people open downfield or at least getting favorable coverages and single coverages and identifying where those single coverages are going to be and when they're going to be in order to take some of those shots. You know, I think people have a misconception when it comes to throwing downfield and think you should only throw when they're open. And while I agree you shouldn't throw into double coverage, sometimes overthrowing a guy by five yards but having a step on him makes a huge difference in the mentality of the defense, and I hope we're going to be looking to exploit that. Anything else kind of stand out to you as a key to Virginia Tech having success on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just all about how you come out. I think last week against Middle Tennessee State, from the jump, you could feel a lack of energy. It was listless. There was no swagger that we saw against UNC. We just seemed to be a shell of ourselves from a personality standpoint, and that translated over to the passion and the fight we saw on the field. That worked against Middle Tennessee State because it was Middle Tennessee State. It's not going to work against West Virginia because West Virginia is going to come out and punch you in the mouth because it's a rivalry game, and we've had the best of them for quite a while. It's not been a pretty 10 years or so, 20 years or so when you talk about this rivalry. So West Virginia is going to come out to make a statement. So if we're not coming out with our best and ready to go from the moment that whistle blows, it's not going to be pretty. Um, and we can't have another repeat of last week. So my biggest key is just be ready when the whistle goes. Don't take another half of football off. Go in, give us a full four quarters, and get ready because this is West Virginia's Super Bowl, to be quite honest with you. Um, I don't think there's much hopes in Morgantown about the conference title. Um, 
and they want this trophy very, very bad. So get ready for them to take it. Yeah, this is an important game because they've got Oklahoma right after this. And so they lose to Virginia Tech. They're going to be 1-2 and two heading into Oklahoma, most likely going to start their season 1-3, and three, and things are going to start to go south really, really fast for Neil Brown. So right. a win against Virginia Tech would probably be the biggest win that Neil Brown has had. I don't have his big wins in front of me, but you know it hasn't been like an overwhelming success in Morgantown and – you know, it wasn't the easiest job he was going into either. So, um, you know, we'll kind of see what happens there, Tim. But who? What's your what's your prediction for this as we jump into our doing line segment? This was a tough one for me um, because initially preseason, I picked West Virginia to win. Um, mm-hmm. The defense has swayed me. The defense looks far better than I thought they were capable of looking. Um, even expecting them to improve greatly on a poor season last year, I was not expecting them to rewind the clock and remind me of the golden era of Bud Foster coach defenses that we saw in the mid-2000s. But they do. There's a lot of similarities there. There's a lot of playmakers on the edge that are similar. And there's a lot of tenacity there and athleticism that just, that word havoc that you mentioned, this is a defense that can create a lot of havoc. And that has swayed me along with the fact that West Virginia just hasn't looked sharp this year. I think on paper, they certainly look better than they're playing, um, which maybe believe makes one believe they may start punching, you know, at their average here sooner rather than later. But for the time being, I'm going to stick with the defense gets it done again. Uh, so I'm going to take the Hokies, not the Mountaineers, something like, Hmm. 31-27. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I picked West Virginia in the preseason two, but I had a stipulation of that is I thought Virginia Tech would split West Virginia and North Carolina coming into the season, um, really without knowing too much about West Virginia. I don't think West Virginia is a bad football team. I just don't think they're a good football team. So I think they're a middle-of-the-road, very beatable Big 12 opponent who is having a little bit of an offensive identity and crisis on offense when it comes to the offensive line play. Uh, They're unable to move the ball on the ground, which is essentially was supposed to be their bread and butter. They've got a stationary quarterback with an offensive line that can't protect him. And then they've got a guy behind him who's uh, good athletically, but a liability when he throws the football. If you mix that with the defense that we've seen out of Virginia Tech, I don't, I don't see how. I, I guess my biggest thing with this game is why Vegas has Virginia Tech as three point dogs. That seems like a pretty big spread to me, and to me, it's maybe it's just the Justin Fuente effect. You're not ready to buy in, um, so there may be some skepticism there. But I think at the end of the day, this is another big box for Fuente to to check off. So. You know, winning on the road in the hostile environment when you've got expectations on you now. Whether or not you think Virginia Tech is the 15th best team in the country or not, the ranking doesn't matter. But you're going to be looked at as a top 15 team because that's what the rank says in the in the standings. And I think really outside of the top five teams, there's just kind of a mixed bag after that. Like there's just a bunch of football teams trying to find their way right now. 
And I just I'm putting more value in Virginia Tech, and I'm picking Virginia Tech to win because of their defense, not because of their offense. I've really liked what I've seen over the first two weeks of the season, and this defense is approaching the good territory. I'm not yeah. ready to say that this is a top twenty-five, a top thirty unit, but they're they're approaching the good territory. Yeah. And when you're ranked worse than 100 in the FBS a year previous, really approaching anything near good is a huge improvement. But, I mean, you can't really say otherwise with how they've performed, how they're executing, and I'm expecting to see some uh, really interesting schemes out there from Justin Hamilton. And I just personally think, Tim, I had a couple of different scores written down here. I think West Virginia is really going to struggle to move the football. And if Virginia Tech can control their X factors, not give up any special teams touchdowns, not panic when a guy like Green gets into the game. Yeah, I'm sure Blumrick is running special packages as Garrett Green in, in practice this, this week. I'm, you know, I'm sure they're preparing for it. I think Virginia Tech holds West Virginia to 13 points or less. They win by 10. 23-13 seems like about the right range for me based off of how the Hokies offense is performing. And uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. No, I I like the pick. Um, you know, I think I agree on the defense. The turnaround's remarkable. I think you could see potential for a top 30 defense here. And, uh, you know, it just it's one of those things where we've held opponents to low-scoring totals two games now. I expect maybe a, a little bit of a regression towards the mean and in, in West Virginia sneaking a, a few touchdowns past us and a field goal or two. Uh, my only worry, and I think Vegas is worry on this, as you mentioned, why we are dogs. I think we're dogs because of the warning signs we've seen on offense, and I know Vegas has seen that too from, you know, obviously offensively against UNC, we had a good half and then a not-so-good half but the production wasn't there. And then if you really analyze what happened against Middle Tennessee State, again, the offense just looks they – look, they, they look like they were punching above their weight um, in that game. And I think that's what's got us uh, listed as underdogs, at least in the eye of Vegas, is that there are questions about our offense's ability to move the football and to score points. So right or wrong, I have similar worries – um, I'm just hopeful that what doesn't seem uh, like a world beater of a West Virginia defense will allow us to have a fairly, nothing's ever going to be comfortable on offense, but a decent game offensively. Yeah, and I mean, I'll, I'll preface that with, I'm not fully buying Virginia Tech yet. Like, there's still yeah, a lot more, more that I. has to be proven out on the field, but this is just another kind of step in that direction where if you start winning games like this, and again, you're going into a hostile road environment against a decent opponent, a Big 12, a Power 5 opponent, in a game that you may be the underdog, but at the end of the day, you're expected to win based off right. of what you've done so far this season, who you've beaten compared to who they've beaten. you got to take care of business. And I mean, this is how you start building momentum inside of a program is to win games like this. So if we're going to take Virginia Agreed. Tech seriously, if Virginia Tech is is going to be taken seriously by um, you know anybody outside of the ACC, go to go to Morgantown, win in one of the more hostile environments of college football, and come on home next week, wrap up 
September, October, and then go on the road late in uh, late in October to start kind of the the brunt of your more difficult schedule, which is um, all on the road. So we'll see what happens. But I like that we're both in the same uh, same boat here. So we've got Virginia Tech plus two and a half is the line that was on FanDuel this morning. So that's as of September fourteenth. Let's jump to some of the other games. Ten. The first game I've got on here: Michigan State at number 24 Miami Miami is a six and a half point favorite who you got the, this one's a tough one for me because Miami has potential to win by multiple touchdowns but when you look at what they've done this makes this an extremely hard pick the ACC has fallen flat on its face the Big Ten has looked pretty good um, outside of their uh, Oregon Ohio State debacle last week Um I like the points with Michigan State. That's that's a nice enough gap. But I'm an idiot, and I think Miami figures it out and covers the spread. Okay. Uh, I'm going Michigan State. I figured you were because I'm making an idiotic decision. I mean, they're 2-0. and You know, their wins are over Northwestern and Youngstown State. They've got Kenneth Walker third, who has looked really good. Of course, came uh, transferred from Wake Forest, obviously. Um, they've got an experienced offensive line. They've got Peyton Thorne at quarterback who has played fairly well to start the season, has five touchdowns, no turnovers. I just haven't loved how Miami has looked. They're coming off a close game against App State. This is another difficult opponent. And I'm picking Michigan State to cover. So I'm going to take that six and a half. I don't know if they win, but I feel like six and a half points is a lot with how Miami is playing right now. So it is. I hate I hate the line. I just want to yeah. make that clear. Yeah. Uh FSU at Wake Forest. Wake Forest minus four and a half point favorite. I think I probably know where you're leaning on this one. Yeah. <laughs> Give me Wake Forest. It's almost like why is this line so low? Right. Right. I think it just goes down to it's Wake, right? They're kind of just underrepresented in the media. I think Sam Hartman is like the forgotten arm in the ACC, who's a very solid quarterback. Um, but they're better coached. They execute much better. They've got some good playmakers on that offense. So they do. Um, I uh, I like Wake to get it done as well. So I think but that's you, you hit on it. One of the easier picks. What people underrate how well. Wake Forest is coached. Yeah. Especially from an offensive scheme standpoint. You want to talk about a team with an identity? No one does it better. No one maximizes talent quite like that offensive scheme at Wake Forest. And Wake Forest has been a bit of a thorn in the side of Florida State, even when they were good to average. But this new brand of Florida State, where I don't know what they are right now, can't understand the line in this game. Obviously taking Wake to I don't. I don't either. I don't get the line. Uh, Dave Clawson had a funny uh, comment earlier this week saying that, you know, 60% of Wake Forest's student body goes to the game. What other school can say that? Well, Dave, when you have 5,500 students at your school. Like, yeah. I'm, hope, I'm hoping that was, like, tongue-in-cheek, or he, he at least smiled when he said it. He, he had a smirk, but okay. he was trying to sneak it. He was trying, he was trying, to, to, he was trying to be cute. Northwestern at Duke. 
Duke is a <laughs> two and a half point home dog. Makes sense. How are you leaning? You know, this one was a tough one for me, but I watched Northwestern play Michigan State. And I was not – I remember watching Northwestern and being, this does not look like a Pat Fitzgerald coached football team. Um, they just didn't have the same level of execution I was used to. They didn't look as good as I'm used to seeing Northwestern look. And then I caught the score last week where they put 24 points up against Indiana State um, in a 24-6 to game. And there is just something about Northwestern that just – I don't get it. The The offense just isn't great right now. They're not coming off of a big win. They're going to play in front of maybe 100 to 200 people at Wallace Wade Stadium. Um, seems like a weird, wacky game where Duke is going to end up uh, winning the game. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, and take Duke on that one. Well, Northwestern, it's not like they're used to playing in front of huge crowds. You know, great at home at least. You know, great facilities but not a huge fan base. Um, I'm going Northwestern. You know, I, uh, I, I think Pat Fitzgerald is a better coach than Cutcliffe at this point. Oh, yeah. Duke no, I, I'd say that's looked, accurate. <laughs> Duke has looked really bad. And yes. um, they, they had a game with North Carolina A&T in the first half last week, and mm-hmm. then they finally pulled away in the second half. So I think um, – you know, Northwestern, I took a took a look because you, you never know with Northwestern. You know, they could be a team that wins nine or ten games, and then the next year they could win three. Um, it's just one of those programs that's going to have a lot of ebbs and flows based off of, you know, how much experience they have and some of those younger guys coming in because they don't have the, the talent pool, much like a Duke that other Big Ten teams would have, right? So, right. They were picked to finish somewhere in the seven win range in the Big Ten, and that's kind of what put me over the hump, um, along with the Pat Fitzgerald lean for uh, for the Wildcats. So I'm going to go Northwestern on that one. Uh, the big ACC game of the week. Actually, let's let's do that one last. Let's jump to UCF at Louisville. Louisville is a six and a half point home dog. Who do you got? Well, that's a good question. I normally being a home dog, I like to take a home dog, but something about Louisville, I just can't quite figure them out this year. I'm still feeling them out one and one, mixed results. Um, and then you go and you look at UCF. Uh, you know, it's not like they've played a, a really hard schedule, but they did get a somewhat impressive. I say somewhat a somewhat impressive win against Boise State, um, first game of the season. So having seen them play against at least average competition uh, come out on top, I'm going to go ahead and pick uh, UCF in that one to cover the spread. I just, something about Louisville just isn't clicking with me. Uh, You know, Ole Miss drubbed them. I think that kind of took the luster off for me a little bit. I didn't think they looked particularly good against Eastern Kentucky. And that's always something that kind of jumps off to me when you've got an an, an FBS and FCS team competing with one another and the FCS team uh, holds the uh, FBS team's offense down a little bit. And I think that's what we saw from uh, Louisville uh, in that game. So I expect UCF to go in there and win um, and cover the spread. 
Yeah, I've got UCF too. I mean, uh, similar thoughts on Louisville. Uh, I don't trust them yet. Yep. Uh, you know, UCF, they've got a, a bigger win over Boise State. Boise State's a solid program, obviously. Bethune-Cookman's their other team that they played. You know, Gus Malzahn is the head coach now. Uh, you've got Dylan Gabriel, who's one of the better quarterbacks in FBS. Super high-powered offense. I do suspect a lot of points will be scored. I thought Louisville would score a lot more points against Ole Miss than they did, uh, and they didn't. So it's really going to come down to defense. I think UCF's D is more is, is better than Louisville. So um, six and a half points is a lot at home. It was a, kind of a tough game to pick from that standpoint, but I think UCF is able to kind of pull it off. So. Well, yeah, and then you dig a little deeper, though, and Gus Malzahn, I mean, obviously you know what he's going to bring from an offensive standpoint. I think he was a highly underrated coach at Auburn, even though Auburn fans will tell you something completely different. And this oh, yeah. is obviously a two-game sample here, but you got one team averaging 630 total yards of offense and the other averaging 406. I'll let you do the math and figure out who's who here. But both have played an FCS team and both have played an FBS team. So it's not like it's complete apples to oranges here. Um, But 630 total yards to 406 total yards. Um, Give me the high-flying offense. The biggest ACC matchup of the week, Coastal. UVA at UNC. North Carolina is a eight-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Who you got? I'm not seeing an eight-and-a-half-point favorite in the North Carolina team right now. You've got a uh, Virginia quarterback who's red hot. Get it? Because he's got red hair. Um, Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, great. I'll just keep it moving. You've got a Virginia quarterback who is red hot right now. You've got a Virginia team, I think, that's playing a lot better than I expected them to, at least when it comes to the eye test. I didn't expect them to look this good. Um, Eye-opening win for me. Obviously, I don't put much stock into the William & Mary game, but I thought the win against Illinois was just so thorough and so resounding that it really caught my attention. Um, I was expecting Illinois to put up a fight that game. They came nowhere close. North Carolina, it's going to take a lot more than beating the crap out of a team from Atlanta to make me feel like there's any uh, real semblance of a change there because their offense was so far and away uh, from what everybody expected in that Virginia Tech game where I'm not giving them eight and a half, nine points, whatever the line may be, not doing it. There's not much of a home field advantage in Keenan Stadium. Unless you are offended by the color of aluminum, you're going to be okay if you're a Virginia player. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and say give me the Wahoos uh, to beat the spread in that case. I'm just not seeing it. Now, UNC may win the game, but I'm not seeing them winning by 8.5 to 9. Yeah, this game actually opened at 10 points, which I thought was crazy. And I mean, UVA... They've won four straight against North Carolina. Against That's a strange one. Against a much more talented North Carolina offense last year than they're going to play right. this year. And UVA's offense looks better this year than it did last year. Now, I don't put as much value into UVA's wins. Obviously, you know, Bill and Mary, whatever. Um, Illinois, I mean, they lost to UTSA the week before. So Illinois is mm-hmm. obviously not top tier so no. i don't know if i'm like totally buying everything we've seen from uva but 
Armstrong's still putting up insane numbers. Yeah. And to for me to give North Carolina eight and a half points after what we saw against Virginia Tech, I just can't do it. Yeah. So I'm going to take uh, take the points. I'm going UBA. Uh, I, this game's a toss-up to me. I don't know who's going to win it. I really I don't. Um, the the only reason I'd lean Carolina is because UVA has just struggled on the road so much over the last couple of seasons. That's, to me, what's given the edge. But I'll probably say Carolina wins. I'm taking the points in UVA to, uh, to beat the spread there. So... And by the way, North Car- this is a must-win game for North Carolina. It is. It really is. Because they lose this. They're 0-2 in the ACC and 0-2 against Coastal opponents. So this is a huge game for Carolina. Yeah. Week I mean, three. That, that's a, that's a great point. And, I mean, if you're into early games that mean a whole heck of a lot, this would be a really good one to watch if you can stomach uh, watching UVA football. Um, I'm actually really oh, excited yeah. about watching, watching this, this game. Yeah. Um, because I, I think this is going to be a great litmus test for UVA as far as what we can expect from them this year. Uh, but it will also be a great way to see, hey, some of those early returns, that UNC VT game, was it a mirage? Did it actually mean something? Was it indicative of a larger problem? Well, I don't know. We're going to find out. Um, but I, I, like you, I just I can't imagine why – uh, the spread would be so high, and what I see too is a toss-up. So, what's your ACC wild card game of the week? What do you got? So let's see here. I was wanting to do the Albany and Syracuse game for the in-state rivalry aspect, but then I remember they obviously don't do FCS, FBS uh, spreads. Although, you know, it would be a good question to know, in theory, what that spread would be given Syracuse's maybe, uh, the best way to say is lack of prowess on the gridiron as of late. But um, the one I like is the Northeast matchup in Boston College and Temple. Um, Right now, Boston College are 16-point favorites. And I just don't see them able to do that with a loss at quarterback. Um, I think I'm going to take the points with Temple on that one at plus 16 versus so, the Boston College Eagles. I've got that game as well. The line that I've got per Fanduel earlier today, and I just checked it, it's minus 15 and a half. I would gladly take that. So you're going to take minus. You're going to take plus 15 and a half for Temple. That's right. Okay. Uh, I'm taking uh, I'm taking Boston College. Wow! And, uh, it's really for one reason. What's that? Temple gave up 61 points to Rutgers. Hey man, don't worry and about that. I saw that, and you've basically got the NFL version of Chase Daniel at Boston College, a guy <laughs> who is just a game manager through and through. I right. like Jeff Halfley. I think they're going to figure it out. It was a little bit of a risk. I just didn't like any of the other lines in the ACC. But I feel I feel good going Boston College in this one because I just don't think Temple's very good. 61-14 to 14 against Rutgers? Come yeah, on. Yeah, but the next week they Come followed it up on. with shutting down the vaunted Rutgers. Akron Zips and holding them to 24 points. Rutgers. Akron. Rutgers. Rubber Bowl. Isn't that was that was role? more of like shock though, right? Yeah, Jacobic's definitely. Can't come, can't come back in. Like what's happening? So just completely yeah. unprepared. But right. you know, I'll give it to you. And one thing I want to say about Syracuse: watch out for that Syracuse defense. Yeah. 
it's been playing much better. That offense, though, it has. It's improved. It, it's yeah. definitely improved. I'm only only giving them a hard time because I always look for in-state rivalries. Well, the thing is, like their I offense like can't score points at all. So no, not not at all. And that's we kind of knew that going in was going to be the case. Yeah. I think the performance of the defense has been a little surprising, but I still wish sometimes they put out lines on these games because I just want to know. You know, what are we thinking, oh, yeah. Syracuse and Albany? I mean, that's got the makings of like a 21 to 3, right? Or like oh, a 17 yeah. to 3. Yeah, I mean, maybe a 20 to 17, Albany throws a Hail Mary and they don't call the right defense and they win. I don't know. Maybe there's an offensive lineman on Syracuse that would like to propose as the Albany Bulldogs celebrate <laughs> uh, in the opposite end zone. And I'm jokingly calling them the Bulldogs as a reference to the earlier joke. Um, we made i do think they have a dog mascot though of course terriers no that's boston i don't know what they are all, great danes all terriers though does sound great danes is that, is that a thing? no i don't know can't be. it's a dog of some sort i believe okay and what's your uh what's your wild card game of the week so for wild card game of the week i figured i would go to the sec um, and look at a conference that i can kind of predict better than picking anything related to the acc uh, right now, they've got Alabama and Florida, which is the big matchup. Currently, yeah. Alabama, at least what I see, they're 14 and a half point favorites right now. Um, you know, that that's kind of a hard one to pick because Florida has looked okay. Alabama has looked really, really good. Um, but then you go kind of behind the numbers. What's going on with Florida? Florida's got an offense that is just tearing it up right now. I think the offense is going to be enough to keep it close-ish with Alabama. And by close-ish, I mean I think they'll probably lose by 10 points. So I'm going to go ahead and take the points in Florida um, at 14.5 plus 14.5. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. I thought you were definitely going to go Bama on that one. I saw that line, and I was like something. I mean, yeah. That's got let down to me all over it. Yeah, but it's it's in um, Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. It's in the swamp. You know, it's Alabama, though. But remember, Alabama. last year, I, I, what was the score like? 52, Nick Saban 46 was fuming or on the sideline against Mercer last week. Fuming. Those boys, they're gonna come out and play. They're gonna come out hot. Yeah. But we'll I'm not see. talking you. I'm not talking you out of your pick. I mean, that's that's your pick. You know, you gotta yeah. you gotta be happy with it. I I'm gonna dig myself out of the hole. Pac-12 after dark, okay? Not a Pac-12 conference game, but a Pac-12 team. I'm going Arizona State. Sun Devils, little three-and-a-half-point road favorites at BYU. Mm. Now, BYU coming off an emotional win against Utah. Holy war. Also a Pac-12 team. But Arizona State, under the radar, good. Pac-12 team out there that we may be talking about as potentially going up against an Oregon in the Pac-12 championship potentially later in the yeah. year. Yeah, I, I mean it's I looking like that way, State. right? Yeah, I like Arizona State. I looked at uh, I looked at Fresno State to cover eleven and a half against UCLA. Uh, Fresno State has been sneaky good this year. Um, Almost, uh, almost took down Oregon a week before Oregon uh, beat, knocked off uh, Ohio State. So, but I'm going to go Arizona State Sun Devils. You know, it's my graduate degree alum there. So, 
Um, feeling good about old Herm. Herm out there out west. Mountain West yeah. country. I mean, you know, he's looked good. He's definitely turned that program around. And, you know, I think it's a good pick, too, because BYU, although they're 2-0. Who knows? Yeah. Although they're 2-0, they haven't they haven't been putting up eye-popping numbers. Um, no. So I, I think that bodes well, obviously, for Arizona State heading into that game. Yeah. So we'll see. It's going to be a fun week. Uh, hate week is always um, is always fun especially when it's uh, West Virginia, Virginia Tech, and it's been a while since uh, those two teams have played. But, Tim, any uh, any final words before we sign off? Uh, you know, no final words except beat West Virginia. I am looking forward to this game, to say the least. I hope we get to see the playbook opened up a little bit on offense um, and see some vertical shots taken. But, um, yeah. Nothing else other than all I can really think about is this football game right now. Yep, it's going to be a good one, but thanks for listening. We are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Virginia Tech sports. If this is your first time, go ahead and leave us a review. Hopefully five stars. Share with your friends, anybody you know. Let them know that uh, we've got a pretty baller Virginia Tech and ACC podcast. If you didn't like it, just shoot us a DM don't need to leave that review over there but uh seriously hit that five star button spread the word follow us on instagram we're gramming at chowder and grits twitter at chowder and grits we're getting close to 2,000 followers on twitter come be that 2,000 follower that's all i've got for today happy hate week go hokies beat west virginia and uh go acc see you guys later